The Garden Question is a podcast for people that love designing, building, and growing smarter gardens that work. Listen in as we talk with successful garden designers, builders, and growers, discovering their stories along with how they think, work, and grow. This is your next step in creating a beautiful, year-round, environmentally connected, low-maintenance, and healthy, thriving outdoor space. It doesn't matter if you're a beginner or an expert, there will always be something inspiring when you listen to the Garden Question podcast. Hello, I'm your host, Craig McManus. Melanie Deaton has made a life connecting people to plants through her family's flower farm, Melanie's Garden. In this episode 60, we talk about successful cut flower gardening and overcoming the trials and the solutions of developing a whole new flower farm site. You will enjoy learning how Melanie's practical experience will guide you to becoming a better cut flower grower. Having worked in the floral and gardening industry for over a decade, she has learned that it's best to let nature lead the way. As a mother, gardener, and floral designer, she finds joy and beauty in the simplest things growing in her garden and along the roadside. She talks about how nature's hidden delights become a spectacular shared design. This is episode 60, Cut Flower Growing with Melanie Deaton. You're invited to engage with us on Instagram at the Garden Question Podcast. If you'd like to email me directly, the address is question at thegardenquestion.com. That's question at thegardenquestion.com. Please remember, your ratings and reviews are always appreciated. Melanie, what is a cut flower garden? A cut flower garden is a garden where you're growing specifically to use flowers and the foliage for cut flower arrangements. Would you tell us the basic elements necessary to be successful in a home cut flower garden? A lot of them are the same as in a production cut flower garden. Your basic thing that you need to get nailed down is a good spot to plant in. Make sure that you've got some good healthy soil, always incorporate in compost or organic materials to get your soil nice and healthy. Always as a home gardener to keep in mind what zone you're in, picking things specific to your zone that you know are going to grow well there. Then not to forget what performs best in the shade and what forms best in the sun. And then the sky's the limit. I always tell people to grow what you like, grow the colors that you like, grow the varieties that you like so that you can enjoy it while it's growing and then as you're using it. Does it have to be a raised bed? No, not necessarily at all. I like to plant cut flowers, of course, in raised beds, but then just in your front landscaping also. Sometimes we help people and consult on landscape projects, and I always want to leave room in a landscape bed for either nice annuals or some cut flowers to enjoy. What would be a good plan when planning your flower garden? Start early. (laughs) You're behind the ball a little bit if you wait until spring to decide that you want to plant a garden. I say in the dead of winter, when you're inside and you're looking out there and you can't wait to get your hands in, that's when you really start planting and look through your seed catalog and your plant catalogs and start to research what you like visually, what grows best in your climate. Start early because a lot of times seeds are going to sell out. Nurseries are going to sell out before you get there. So have a plan early on. I like to start everything by seed. So if you're going to do that, make sure that you get a good head start. 
you have a greenhouse to grow things in, that's great. There's other ways you can build cold frames. You can start seeds in your windowsill, in your house. Just be prepared so that when spring does get here and you're ready to get your hands dirty, you have got plants that you want to put in your garden. So I think that's a good start to it. Make sure that you've got a good water source, whether you've got a hose nearby, whether you put down drip tape or you're just using a water can. Just make sure that you've got a good plan for watering. Make sure you stick to that plan. And you're probably going to want to water down on the ground and not actually the flower bloom or foliage. Yes, ideally, if you could help it, watering down at the base of the plant so that you're not promoting disease and mildew and whatnot on your leaves and on your petals, for sure. You're seeding into containers and then taking those seedlings and then install them in your garden. That's exactly right. And we can get more into that when we talk about the type of gardening that I'm doing actually here. I always like to transplant things because I want the landscape to be visually appealing and I don't like to have gaps in my plants that are coming up. So when you transplant, you always know where a plant's going. It's already up and you can see it. It's an instant gratification when you plant it in the ground. When you're selecting a seed or selecting what to grow, are you thinking about how you're using them or are you just looking for plants you like and going that way? Absolutely. I'm thinking about how I'm going to use them. I'm thinking about not only how I'm going to use them when they're in full bloom, but I'm thinking how some things I don't even grow to cut the bloom or to cut the fruit because I do this for vegetables also. But there's some things that I grow specifically for drying I might leave it in the field or I might cut it at its peak to dry it to make fall wreaths from or Christmas decorations or things like that. So, yeah, I'm thinking about a lot of things when I pick out my seeds. Well, what would be an example of some of the things you're growing for the foliage or the drying? For foliage, I'm growing a lot of flowering herbs, several different types of basils because they look and smell really nice in bouquets. My absolute favorite, though, is shiso. It's like an Asian herb. It's got a beautiful sort of emerald green leaf on the front and then a dark purple on the back. I grow that specifically for its foliage, although it does send up a really pretty flower late in the season. I use that very heavily in bouquets. Another thing that I grow just for drying is okra. Of course, I'll pick some and eat some myself throughout the season. I grow it just for leaving out there in the garden and letting it dry for fall. I like to make dried bundles to sell at the farmer's market, but then I love to put dried okra in my fall and my Christmas holiday wreaths. What would be some of the flower varieties that are easy to be successful with when starting out? There are several that I'm growing right now. They're just the tried and true One of those would be Cosmos. I do love to transplant most things, but Cosmos, especially for a beginning gardener or a home gardener, brush the soil up a little bit, take a handful of those, sprinkle them out. Most of the time they do just wonderfully as long as they get watered well, but they just will produce and produce and produce so many beautiful blooms for you with hardly any effort. Another one is zinnia. Zinnia can have some disease issues, some pest issues. Japanese beetles actually really, really love to eat the bloom on a zinnia. For growing, they are easy to grow. The seeds sprout. They've got fantastic germination rates. There's so many different varieties. So even if you only grew zinnias in your garden, you could plant enough varieties where you could have beautifully diverse bouquets. Another one is celosia. That's another one that you could surface seed as a beginning gardener or home gardener. Just broadcast the seeds out and much success growing that. And there are so many different types of celosia also. So yeah, I think that those are, are my top three for sure for a beginner. 
What would be kind of a next step variety? Well, uh, that's kind of where I am right now, moving into the more specialty flowers. One of my favorites that I'm working on right now are dahlias. I'm growing those in three different ways. I'm planting some straight tubers. From that, I mean, I'm planting that straight into the garden beds. And I've got a few that have sprouted so far, but then I'm also starting tubers in pots in the greenhouse. As they sprout, I'm taking cuttings from those and starting new plants. That's my second way. So I have tubers and then cuttings. And then also I've started several hundred from seed. So I'm kind of making a trial this year on which I'm going to have most success with dahlias. Another one that is kind of a next step is ranuncula and anemones, which are both grown from corms like the dahlias grown from a tuber. Those I'll be planting this fall for early spring production next year. So yeah, that's kind of what I'm graduating to right now. Tell us about the harvesting or the cutting process. It is surprisingly time-consuming to harvest flowers, believe it or not. This time of the year, we like to get out there super, super early. As soon as the heat sets in, the blooms and the foliage start to wilt a little bit, and they will snap back once you bring them inside and put them in the cool air. Ideally, you want to get out there early, early in the morning or either late in the afternoon. I almost prefer the late afternoon. Everything's kind of cooling off instead of warming up. It's a little nicer to get out there and do it like that. It's a time-consuming process because most of the flowers that we are growing are cut and come again. We're not chopping the flower down all the way to the base. We're really going from the top of the bloom all the way down to maybe 12 to 18 inches on a stem to have a nice length, cutting in a specific place so that you promote new blooms, so that you promote new branching, so that your plants last longer through the season. So there's a little bit of a technique to it. It can be time consuming, but it's a lot of fun. It's just part of it. Is there any secrets to making the flower last longer? Well, one thing is cutting at the ideal time of day. Sometimes I can't help it just because of time limitations. Ideally to cut at the very end of the day because those flowers have taken in all the water that they can to make it through the evening. So they're really at peak hydration and then getting them into cool air as soon as possible. There is a little bit of a misconception on cooling flowers you can definitely get them too cold to where they're not very happy. So it's not like a refrigerator where you're going to keep it in the 30s or something. Cut flowers are really good in the high 40s, low 50s. In fact, we get them down to about 53 and they seem to be very, very happy. Yeah, getting them cool right away, keeping the water that they're in fresh. We've got buckets of flowers we're not going to be using for a few days. I go in there periodically, take the flowers out. I might give the stems a clean cut, change out the water, make sure they've got fresh water. Just doing those things really goes a long way to help them last longer. Are you using tap water or do you have a special distilled water? Does that matter? I just use tap water. Yeah, nothing special on the water there. You're a successful flower farmer. How is what you're doing in a production flower farm different from a home cut garden? In a home cut garden, I wouldn't say that you're going out there and cutting all the blooms on your plants every day. I think of a home cut garden as a garden where you can enjoy the blooms out your window, as you pull up your driveway, you can enjoy them in the garden how they are, then cut them as you like. In a production garden, you rarely ever see all of the blooms out there in the garden because the idea is to cut them at their peak, which is most of the time as they're just opening, 
cut them at their peak and then get them in the cool air. Production is just what it sounds like, man. You are doing what you can to pump out as many flowers out of the garden as possible. Cutting and bringing them in, cutting them at the right point to produce more blooming. Whereas in a home garden, you're probably not that aggressive with it. <laughs> Give us an idea what the production garden you have looks like as far as beds and size. It's a market style production cut garden. We laid it out with the idea that we're going to be going up and down those beds very often, either carrying buckets of flowers or pushing the wheelbarrow, walking down a lot, weeding, doing whatever we have to do. So in total, we have 20 to 100 foot beds. It's laid out in a big square, four sides, each row being about three feet wide with a two foot pathway in between each one. Very nice to look at, which I'm very big on. I love the visual appeal of it. It's beautiful. We do about 9 to 12 inch spacing on each plant that we put in. To some people, it can seem a little bit crowded for the plants. The idea there is you're going to be cutting very, very often. Then also, I have found that the closer you get the plants, as they grow, and in my garden right now, they're about halfway up and they're starting to look really nice. They make a canopy that sort of shades out the weeds underneath it. So it really helps with the weed pressure to space the plants a little bit closer than you typically would think if you're planting like a, a flower bed at your house. I would think, too, that that tighter planning would also make them stretch because they're competing more with each other. Is that an advantage? It kind of is. I've also found that planting them that close, you get the stronger plant really, really takes over. And the plant that may have been a little weaker is just going to kind of die out. So that's also nice. You always have something available in the garden to cut? Or how do you make that happen? Yeah, ideally, that is the idea. That is kind of why we plant so much. And then also we do several plantings, succession planting. There are different flowers that we plant different successions of. If you look at the back of a seed packet, it'll tell you how many days it's going to take to maturity. Some sunflowers take 50 to 65 days to maturity, whereas zinnias, they might take 95 days to maturity. So based on how quickly they're going to come on, we space out our plantings. I think right now we might have six successions already of sunflowers. We planted our first zinnias and things that bloom like that. The second week in April, we planted our second batch of those about two weeks ago. Now we have our third round that's seeded in the greenhouse right now. Although you might look out there and think, man, this is going to be a lot of flowers. In my mind, I think, okay, these flowers are going to last us through this date. We need to have a whole nother batch coming on in their prime by this date. It's a lot of planting, a lot of thinking, a lot of time management. Yes, the idea is to have lots of variety coming out throughout the season. How do you market your flowers? Thankfully, my husband and I live in the town that we grew up with, so it's a lot of word of mouth. We've been doing this business. Well, my husband has just joined up with me. I've been doing for about five years now the actual growing the flowers here. We do a lot of Instagram, do a lot of activity on social media not just sell things, but just keeping people interested in what's going on throughout the week and what we're doing. A lot of word of mouth, a lot of social media right now. And we just started a newsletter. As we grow our email list, we'll grow that audience that gets the newsletter to see where we're going to be selling, what we have to offer and that sort of thing. Your market is super local. 
It is very local. Yeah, it really has to be because we're not at the position now where we're shipping flowers or anything like that. And it's not economical to us to deliver really outside of our local areas. Thankfully, we have a strong local economy. We have lots of really great support from people that we know around here. Word of mouth is kind of the best marketing that we've had so far, for sure. So people find out about you word of mouth, Instagram, then how do they buy your flowers? There are several different ways we're selling our flowers right now. We do have a subscription program. You can find that on our websites. We started a spring flower subscription several weeks ago. I think coming up on the fourth week right now. It's a six-week subscription where you get a deluxe bouquet. And it's really designer's choice, meaning whatever we've got coming out of the garden. Right now, what we've got coming from other farms locally get a deluxe bouquet delivered to your door each week for six weeks. So that is a subscription program that we have. We have another one starting in a few weeks for the summer. So that'll be a whole different six-week block. Then also we sell at our local market day, which that's just one weekend a month in downtown Newton. We set up a booth and sell there. Then just this past weekend, we started at the Sonoya Farmer's Market. We'll be at Farmer's Markets. You've got the subscription. Then also, we love to accommodate just custom orders. A lot of times people will just call me and say, hey, I've got a special occasion. Can you make something for me and send it? Almost 100% of the time we make that happen. There's lots of ways to get them. Just have to get in touch with us. Do you have any other aspects of your business that you're doing? Oh, absolutely. We do several weddings a year, which we love to do. I have a strong background in floral designs. I love to continue to do a few weddings a year. We also have a container gardening aspect. Having my husband working with me now has made a huge difference for us because there is a lot of heavy work labor that goes into that. By container gardening, I mean it's full custom container design. We'll go out to someone's house and we'll do a consultation with them and speak to them about visions that they might have. Just this past week, we installed some large terracotta pots around someone's pool. And this was after a consultation was uh, done and a lookbook and a proposal sent out. We ordered and sourced containers, sourced the plant, trees, shrubs, whatever it may be. And then we actually, we come and we install it. So everything from start to finish, we do. And that has been a lot of fun. That part of our business is really growing and that's exciting. What are the future plans for your flower farm? Oh, goodness. Where do I start? (laughs) I think most immediately, we just want to add more gardens. So right now we've got our one garden space. I would love for that to eventually turn into perennial garden. Then on another spot, kind of in front of that, put in a few more annual garden beds that we can start to rotate. Planting cover crops, really working on the soil health, then get some really nice perennial stuff to put in our current garden right now keep that whole thing perennial garden would be very nice so that everything we're starting every year isn't coming from seed. Just growing, adding more gardens, planting more trees. This past year, we planted maybe 12 or 13 eucalyptus trees of different varieties. The eucalyptus foliage is very, very popular, especially in wedding work, but it's also just such a nice addition to any sort of arrangement or bouquet that we make, possibly adding more eucalyptus trees. I'd love to plant some more magnolia trees because everything for me has got to be dual purpose. It's got to look nice wherever it is, but it also has to serve a purpose of being used for floral work. What about ornamental shrubs? Are you planting those too? 
Yeah. In fact, my favorite are hydrangeas and all different types. When we bought this place a year ago, the first thing we did is put in a ton of limelight hydrangeas. They grow quickly and then they produce flowers on nice woody stems at a part of the season where some things in the garden are starting to slow down. If I could plant a thousand of those, I would. And I might, who knows? What about trellis and cut flowers? Are you doing that? Yes, and I should be doing more. There are always 10 more tasks than what you can get to. So trellising is always on the plan, but doesn't always happen. What's the benefits to trellising? I have seen some major destruction in the years past just by an afternoon rainstorm in the summertime. You get a few gusts of heavy, heavy winds. Those beautiful sunflowers that are just at the peak of opening for your farmer's market this weekend, they just get toppled to the ground. Sunflowers don't need a trellis, really, but anything like corral system where you put T-posts in the corners of the beds and just run wire or tomato twine or something around them to give them a corral so that if the wind does come, it doesn't knock them all the way to the ground. That would be super helpful. Staying on top of that is a great idea and Something I'm looking out in my garden right now thinking I need to go up there. (laughs) Never can get to it at all. That's exactly right. Yes. There's actually another plant that I'm growing this year, Ageratum. I'm growing it in several different colors. I've never grown it before and really didn't read up quite as much as I should have on its growth habit because it could have definitely used a netting sort of trellis. I'm noticing that the stem, although it's getting nice and long, if it lays on the ground, it's going to take root and sort of just spread a little bit. I'm not getting the stem length on that flower that I would really like to. When I do cut it, it's a curved stem now because it's been laying down. I'm learning as I go still every day. So this definitely could have used some sort of low trellis for sure. What are you applying to your garden this year that you learned last year? Secession planting, for sure. Even though it looks like the whole garden may be full right now, don't stop seeding uh, for a few more weeks because I'm going to be happy in a couple of weeks that I've got these extra transplants to go in. So yeah, definitely keep on seeding. (laughs) You've already told us hydrangeas are your favorite plant to grow. What's your second most favorite to grow? The shiso, this Asian herb, to be honest with you, I've never even used it for cooking. I just love the way it looks so much. It has got such a beautiful two-toned leaf on it. It is extremely hardy. It adds bulk and texture to a bouquet. I've never seen, or I don't have experience with another cut flower that does quite the same thing. I planted a lot of it and I have more seeded in the greenhouse right now. (laughs) That's something I've been very excited about this year. What do you look for when you're putting together a bouquet? There's several things sure you've heard in container gardening that there are thrillers, fillers, and spillers. Well, there's something like that too when you're putting together a bouquet, especially, and I'm really going to talk to like a farmer's market bouquet right now. You've got your focal flowers, which in my garden this year and for most summer annuals, those are your big giant zinnias. Those are your sunflowers. In the fall, those will be the dahlias, you know, the big show-stopping focal flowers. Then you've got your frill. That would be some really whimsical things like that ageratum I spoke about earlier. That's going to be one of the frills. It's really pretty and delicate. Also cosmos. I consider those frills for the bouquet. Celosia, same thing. It's real light, feathery, adds some texture, some movement, some interest. 
The last thing is filler. That is where growing herbs come in, the basils, stuff with big leaves, the shiso, things that are going to fill out your bouquet once you've used all the flowers that you can use for that particular one. They'll come around and they'll make a nice collar around your bouquet and really cause the florals themselves to pop and shine. Those are my three basic aspects. So the focals, the frills, and the fillers. You want to have all three of those to make a gorgeous bouquet. What have you recently learned that you didn't know regarding flower growing? The importance of a good fertilizer. This is just my experience this year. We started a brand new garden on what was forever and always a pasture. We did put down very high quality compost to help with the soil structure. In years past, when I have grown a production garden, I guess where I was before I had much better soil <laughs> that wasn't just a mowed pasture for so many years. I have just seen a night and day difference in the plant health, the color of the plants, the hardiness of the plants by adding a high quality organic fertilizer to the beds this year. What are you using? We are using a pelleted chicken manure fertilizer. That's aged, I guess, and then pelletized. Yeah, it comes in a bag, organic certified. Man, what a difference it's made. I'm seeing such a vast difference in any garden I've ever grown just from the addition of that high quality fertilizer. Definitely a huge lesson for the positive this year, for sure. Why did you decide to pursue flower farming? Well, honestly, it just made sense for me. My 15 first years of my work experience were in food and beverage in all aspects. My parents had a catering company. I worked in coffee houses. I waited tables. I worked in kitchens, everything. My husband and I were living on St. Simon's for several years, and I was working at a golf club. We did lots of events. It was just a very busy, very high-end experience I'd never been in before. We had this fantastic chef who exposed me for the first time to the farm-to-table movement. It was just like a light bulb that went off in my head that I need to know more about this. I want to know how to grow my food. I want to know where all this beautiful food is grown and how it's grown. We happened to have a chef's garden there at the club. I left my position inside the clubhouse as the event coordinator to go out into the garden and learn how to grow food. I didn't know how to garden. I didn't know how to do anything, but I really, really wanted to know. I had the pleasure of working side by side with a woman named Anne. It was just a one-on-one -on -one experience with her and myself. She taught me everything from how to put a seed in the pot to how to water correctly, how to grow things in the greenhouse, transplant, the whole thing, the whole nine yards. We were growing vegetables there, but her background was really in flowers. She influenced me a little bit in the small amount of flowers that we grew there. It was almost like an internship that I had there. I learned enough about flowers that I wanted to pursue putting arrangements together and floral design and just work with flowers a little bit more. From there, I went and worked for a floral and event design company. Oh man, what an education I had there. Learning how to put bouquets together and wedding design and floral design and botanical art and indoor plantings. It only made sense to me. When we moved back to Noonan, I wanted to start my own business. And I thought, well, now I know how to do the floral design. I want my own flower. I know how to garden. I know how to do the floral design part. It only makes sense to grow my own flowers. So that's exactly what I did. Started a floral design company, which is still standing and it's still in existence. But my former partner owns that now. 
I've been on my own now for five years, growing flowers, designing with my own flowers. If you are a gardener or a farmer and you also have experience with floral design, I don't know how you can decide to grow flowers for yourself and pursue being a flower farmer. It makes sense and it's fabulous and having your own material to work with, it's just such a pleasure. In your professional career, who has been your biggest influencer? I couldn't name just one, to be honest with you, so I'll name a few. Definitely my chef friend, Mary, who initially got me interested in learning about where my food came from, learning about farming in particular. My first big influence in farming is my friend Gabe, who is a very successful flower farmer in North Georgia in the Rome area. She's got a farm called Sapelo Farms. It's in Silver Creek, Georgia. She was my absolute first taste of farming at the time she was farming vegetables, just seeing her operation, seeing her work, the efficiencies in that, being in nature, loving what you're doing, getting your hands dirty every day. She was just the shining star influence on that part of my life for sure. Definitely my friend Anne, who I worked with in the first garden that taught me the basics of everything I know and really pushed me to keep going. She is an educator. To be able to work with her, I was really getting this phenomenal college education. She sent me off with tons of books and tons of encouragement. Most recently, I would say that my biggest influence in the farming and the efficiencies and marketing and getting your stuff out there and getting your name out there is my friend's Josh and Jess, who own Row by Row Farm, which is just in Luthersville, Georgia, close to here. They've definitely been my most recent influence. I'm blessed to have so many people that have poured into my life that continue to pour into my life and lift me up and encourage me in this way. So yeah, all those people for sure. It's a great group there. Definitely. What is your most valuable garden mistake? My biggest gardening mistake is not planning for a weed barrier well enough. I know in my head that laying landscape fabric down the rows with burnt holes in them, plant your transplants in, is the best way to keep down your weeds in this type of production garden. I think I got one row down with landscape fabric. And then it was just on to planting. I couldn't slow down. I'm out there bent over, pulling the weeds, thinking to myself, why did I do this? But it's too late now. I'll just enjoy it while I'm out here. And next season, I'll make myself not do this again. (laughs) What's your earliest garden memory? I can remember being four years old and taking seeds from apples and pears and taking them down my front yard, digging a hole with a spoon, I think it was. And putting these seeds in, and I remember how disappointed I was that they never grew. I was so little, I never watered them or did anything with them. But I will tell you that I have a five-year-old son who did the exact same thing, not exactly the same way. You know, he's got a mommy and daddy with a greenhouse and potting soil. I didn't have that. A few months ago, took an apple seed from an apple we got at Country Gardens from the Cunninghams. Great little apples they have there from a local farm. He took one of those seeds said, mommy, I want to plant an apple tree. And I'm thinking, oh yeah, I know that doesn't work. (laughs) I did that when I was your age. Well, sure enough, he goes out there. He takes his own little four inch pot, puts the soil in, plants the seed. He goes out there with me when we water. Oh, mommy, don't forget to water my apple tree. Well, sure enough, we got an apple tree growing in that little pot right now. (laughs) Right. (laughs) I know. I'm so happy for him. Yeah. Yeah. He was much more successful than I was. (laughs) What's the best gardening advice anyone ever gave you? Grow what I like. 
And that is that I would pass on to other people, grow what you like. Really, I learned this when I was starting to learn how to grow vegetables in that first garden. We had, I don't know how many different types of eggplant. I don't know why eggplant just stands out in my mind, but we never got rid of it or we would take it up to the restaurant, wouldn't sell. So I've translated that into my own garden. Grow what you like to eat or grow what you like to cut. And just because it's in season and the seeds are available, it's not something that you're going to love seeing growing out there or pertaining to vegetables that you're not going to love to eat. There's no hard, fast rule that says you have to grow it. Just because it's squash season doesn't mean you have to grow 15 squash plants. Yeah, you'll be having squash running out your ears if you do. Yeah. (laughs) What is the best business advice anyone ever gave you? Consistency and humility in business. And I think that not just in flower farming, not just in farming, not in floral design, but in anything, having a consistent product for sure. In my case, that means showing up to do my deliveries with a bouquet that looks just as good or better than the one that I brought last week. Same at the farmer's market, consistency in the way that we set up, consistency in the way that we speak about what we do, and then also humility. If you make a mistake, own up to it. If things aren't ready in time, stay on top of it. Stay in communication with your customers and your clients so that even if you might not be meeting that mark on the expectation, you are at least communicating and letting that person know that you're working on it or you're trying or just being honest about things for sure. What do you wish people would do differently when designing, building, or growing a garden? I was just at someone's house the other day and it was a container consultation. She couldn't understand why these plants weren't thriving. Well, they were shade plants and they were in the full heat sun. Just paying attention to what your zone is, what grows best where you live, what grows best in the shade, what grows best in the sun. How did you get into speaking about gardening? It's been a process of saying yes to things. I've been asked before to come to little demonstrations or speaking engagements at garden clubs, which has been a lot of fun. Also put myself out there a little bit to do workshops for garden club things, for corporate events. I guess letting myself be a little bit vulnerable and saying yes to things. And every time I have said yes, the doors have opened to other things to say yes to. So I'm just going to keep doing that. (laughs) (laughs) Just keep saying yes. That's exactly right. Would you like to wrap it up with some final thoughts? I would love to encourage anybody that's thinking about starting a garden, whether it is from nothing (laughs) or if you've got a garden plot, just do it. Plant your first seed and see where that goes because your experience in gardening is only going to be built on what your experience is. So you can't mimic what someone else is doing and expect to have the same results. You can't get to where you want to go before you're ready to get there. So start small. Even if you're scared and you think that you don't know what you're doing, plant one seed in a pot and take care of it and watch it grow. It's going to really spark your love and your interest for it. Continue to learn. Reach out to people that you know that are gardening or farming and ask questions because the people that I know that are doing the same thing as me, we love what we do and we love to talk about it and we love to share information. At least I know that I do. If you want to get into gardening, you want to get into growing your flowers, start small and keep learning.
Melanie, how might people connect with you? Best way to connect with me would be email. You can find that on my website, which is melanies-garden.com. There are several ways to connect there. And then also I'm very active on our Instagram account. People send me messages through Instagram all the time. And that's a really great way to get in touch with me also. Melanie's underscore garden on Instagram. This has been episode 60, Cut Flower Growing with Melanie Deaton. Thank you, Melanie. You're awesome. The goal is that every episode is valuable and well worth your time. Please generously share the Garden Question podcast with your friends, relatives, and neighbors. Check out our website, thegardenquestion.com, for links, resources, and where you can listen to every episode again and again. You will not want to miss a weekly episode, so please subscribe to the Garden Question podcast with Craig McManus on your favorite listening app. Keep on designing, building, and growing a smarter garden that works.